again. Hello again. Uh, so we, Sarah and I just uh, finished up recording with Kate Fraser Neely today's episode. That was sort of a unexpected and wonderful hour. It really was. I mean, what a journey. I mean, it was really just her telling kind of this journey she's been through that I know has got to be relatable for so many people. I mean, it was relatable for you. Like, even if you didn't literally go through what she's gone through, uh, so many people who sing can relate to kind of losing it for a period and having to refine. You know, and I through that yeah and and so we do talk a lot about um kate's journey through her her own voice um issues we'll say that that she's you know come come full circle on um and uh it's really inspiring i think to the point of um not giving up and and moving forward and 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 actually dealing with what you're going through but i just want to say that i think it's important as a precursor, and I didn't say this while we were recording. Yes. We cannot continue to make vocal health a stigma issue. No. There are things that happen, and we sort of talk about this near the end, but there are things that happen to the human voice that you have no control over. Yeah. It's like anything else in life. Right. I mean, we, we talk, she talks about, you know, kind of the mental side of it. And yes, your voice is such a deeply personal thing that I think like it is important to recognize that it's okay to be like personally, emotionally, psychologically affected when you go through something with your voice or that something in your life could affect other could affect your voice or just anything, you know, like I don't know. There are just things in life that happen. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so I vocal fam, I hope you enjoy uh, t- today's episode, Kate Frazier Neely, yeah. um, really an inspiring talk. And I do apologize, vocal fam. I think there's going to be some audio clicking, um, on the computer channel. I, I, I will try to clean it up as best I can, but, but I think it's going to be there. So I just hope you stick with us because it's a great message and it's a great talk. Um, really wonderful. <laughs> Go ahead. Again, all these, all these talks we've done this summer with all of our guests, just have these little gems. Yeah. That you find that can be yeah. listened. To. So. And, and today's was I, I'm not interested in. What, what, do you remember what what the the I'm not interested where music takes me. I'm interested. Oh, in, it's where she. It's not where she can take music, but where music is going to take her. Yeah, just beautiful. That's near the end of the episode. So yeah, it's uh, great. Really, some some really great joy in this, um, and, and some really just good information too. So, yeah. uh, I I hope you guys listen, Vocal Fam. Check out the merch store. Help Hi. Sarah. Help Sarah and I keep Vocal Fry uh, coming to you free. Free. Um. So check out the merch store, vocalfry.com. Yes. Backs. Uh. No, vocalfry.com. Click on the merch on the widgets, and uh, it'll take you there. Wait. Buy a t-shirt. Buy a mug. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Peace out, vocal fam. Uh, Sarah, I'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. You're listening to the Vocal Fry Podcast, your weekly dash of voice science, pedagogy, and pop culture. Coming to you from your semi-occluded vocal tract. Have you practiced today?
We are. I'm so glad I caught that early on. Um, Vocal fam, we are back, <laughs> and and you didn't even know we were gone because I hadn't hit record. Um, uh, and Sarah, the audio is much better. It now that, oh. that that's that's way better. Okay, so Vocal fam, we have Kate Fraser Neely with us. And we were thrilled we were able to have her on. She's got an amazing life story that's sort of more recent in her life. But but we really just want to hear about her entire background, uh, just sort of from the from the get-go. Uh, and uh, so, Kate, we were just talking about this, but let's start again. Tell us about how you sort of got into music. How did you get into singing? And, and I promise I'm recording this time. <laughs> I'm not sure I believe you. Uh, no, well, you know, um, I said earlier, thanks for jumping on and asking me to come on when I said I was ready to tell the story. Oh, it's I our pleasure. Know. Our pleasure. I, thank you both. I started out, um, my, my musical education, my education in general was very unusual because I have had two parents who were professional musicians and educators. That's awesome. And, uh, both brothers um, are lifelong career musicians, and um, some of you may know that our son, Adam Mealy, is uh, a musician in New York who, who uh, has the largest music education YouTube channel out there right now. That's awesome. So, I, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with that channel. I, I, I didn't say that to time, but I need to check it out. You need to go check it out because yeah. he, does, he does not only, he's kind of like you guys. He does the popular culture, but he's got the science, he's got the performance, he's got history, he's got, I mean, he's just kind of an, an interesting character. What is it called? It, it's just called Adam Mealy. Oh, okay. <laughs> And it and used to be, used to be called New Horizons in Music, but I think he doesn't need to call it anything anymore. Um, in any event, um, so I had this growing up experience with not only family, but making music in a community sure. from, the time, from the time I was born. Um, my, evidently, my crib was set against the same wall as the organ pipe chambers uh, that my when my father would practice. <laughs> I would be lulled to sleep by the sackbuts and the posanis and <laughs> all these <laughs> Okay. All these other things, yes. Mine was not. Sarah, how about yours? No, I can't say my mom was practicing the organ ever. Okay. Um, but in any event, um, so that by the time I went, I never had a voice lesson before I went to college because my mother was a voice teacher and she did not believe in giving me voice lessons. But I, I kind of learned by osmosis, as they say, plus she was Italian. And so she had an operatic sensibility from the old masters that unfortunately we don't see very often anymore. And um, in any event, I went and got a a bachelor's degree in voice and was the hired staff accompanist for all the voice majors. What great experience for a future voice teacher. I I was like, I look back on this all now, I go, what? (laughs) uh, But then I went on for a master's in vocal pedagogy and performance and like I was saying before back then you did half pedagogy half performance with the result that you were well-rounded but you didn't go in real deep sure 
Um, Makes sense. Uh, the reason that I didn't go on for for the terminal degree is number one, I did not want to. Yeah. Number uh, and number two, I had started talking to faculty about topics for dissertations, and at the time, this was about 1980. I I floated um, popular music pedagogy, popular singing pedagogy. Yes. I floated women's health and singing. I floated collegial learning and team voice teaching, and I was shot down every time. So you were just 35 years ahead of your time, is basically... Uh, you know what? Uh, yes. <laughs> and so I went off and worked on my own. And I was more interested in getting in and just getting in the trenches and working with every kind of singer I could possibly work with those played to my strengths. Quite frankly, my executive functioning skills for writing, mm -hmm. writing, yeah. which you need to get through a doctorate, uh, were not very strong in me at the time. I've sort of developed them much later in life. Oh. Okay. It so is one, it's one of the things that a, a doctorate should teach you. Unfortunately, sometimes it's doctorates don't teach you that. Well, it it's a very, it's a very specialized and a very incredible skill. Yeah. And I think you kind of have to have a, don't you agree, Nicholas? You have to have a bent towards that anyway and be willing to do the work. Yes. Uh, well, w one of the things, yes, I, I think it's two things. I think one, I always tell people, I heard Johann Sundberg say, you better pick a topic you like or you're never going to finish it. <laughs> And so I, 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 so, I, so, so I think that's one part of it. Um, and I do think the other part of it is just, I do think it takes a certain kind of musician to really add it because we're so sort of oftentimes left brain, right brain balanced right. Um, as musicians. Right. I, I right. think it just takes a, it takes a certain kind of artist because sometimes artists are so far one way that they have a difficult time with the discipline maybe of the of the rigors of that kind of writing. Right, I agree. But but at the same time, a lot of musicians have to have the discipline of understanding what it means to practice. And so And and there's there's another thing in there too is that I I think I hyperfunctioned an organization in my teaching work but not in the writing. Uh-huh, sure. That's that's another thing. But anyway, um, it's astounding to me that we can talk about this idea of bilateral vocal fold paresis. Um, and that I've come to a point where I can talk objectively about it. Yeah. Um, I, I understand better that my case has, is unusual and it was complicated by many levels of other factors. My own principal voice teacher kept me patched together for many years because I studied singing for 30 years after my graduate work. Sure. So, okay, so as we get into that, Kate, so um, vocal fam, just so, so you know, so um, uh, what a paresis essentially is, is a weakness that's how we would tech, that's how we would usually describe it in, in the clinic is, is of some kind of weakness. Uh, it's not necessarily a paralysis where you actually have a vocal fold that is actually paralyzed. Um, 
but paresis is technically weakness. It's one of the things that, for example, that we'll talk about when we have uh, a patient who maybe has a partially severed uh, superior laryngeal nerve, possibly from a thyroidectomy, uh, something like that. We would normally refer to someone uh, with that condition as presenting with a paresis, um, even though it, 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 it's the symptoms of that and paralysis aren't totally Ununique, uh, but since since you already brought it up, Kate, how long ago had you been diagnosed? How did you notice the signs? T- t- tell us the beginning of that. Um. Well, you know, wisdom is always greater in hindsight, yeah. and things are things aren't always linear. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. To tell you the truth, my health history. Well, no, let me back up. Just say, I think I started noticing the signs, the symptoms, about maybe 2006. Okay. My voice teacher uh, sent me to uh, an ENT who was well-respected in the area where I live. Sure. We did not use, we did not know enough at that time to request the video strobe. Yeah. And so he did the the manual mirror thing and said, um, you're fine. Um, about a year later, I went to another, okay, went to the second, e, uh, second otolaryngologist who um, did the video strobe, but did not find anything. At that point, you still weren't able to see. They didn't throw it up on a camera for you to see. Yeah. Sure. You know, well, um, and so often I think even now, I mean, well, no, I don't want to say that. But so often in that era, if there was no lesion on the vocal folds, right, you know, so right. go on. So, you know, I'm being told that my my and I was in my mid 40s. I'm being told that the, the vocal folds are pristine and then they're in the shape of a 27 year old whatever. Because you were a singer. And I and I was like, well, then I'm crazy. <laughs> and, uh, and I also worked with several speech language pathologists who um, were mediocre at best. Sure. And I had one session with them, and I was like, you know, I had to resist the urge to say, do you even know who you are talking to? Yeah. Because, and I think a lot of singers and a lot of teachers experience this. Yeah. Uh, but we're gonna get it. We're gonna get into the, this later. Bilateral paresis is much more rare than unilateral. You know, one focal Yeah, we normally (laughs) see one. Right, right. And I think that for a very long time, um, after I was diagnosed with the third otolaryngologist in 2013, that's like, you know... Wow, it took that long. It it took that long. Um, He did not distinguish i mean he said bilateral to me but i had no way of knowing how rare that was and in the meantime the research one research uh clinical study article i found said that there they estimate 0.0 less than one percent of out of every one hundred thousand diagnosed paresis cases are bilateral wow and wow um, which is ironic because that makes up the bulk of the singers I see as an independent singing voice rehab specialist in our area, um, those with bilateral who haven't been able to find help. Wow. Um, 
yeah. So uh, anyway, so in bilateral, as you know, the vocal folds can be weakened in the abducted or the adducted positions. Right. Unfortunately, mine were in abducted uh, because adducted is life threatening. It 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 obstructs the airway, airway right. and has all sorts of implications into your swallowing muscles. Um, and this is what I have learned that makes so much sense, but I did not know back then, and neither did my teacher, is that even though vocal fold paresis is a problem with uh, the nerves, it also severely affects all the function of the pharyngeal wall from the soft palate to the um, pharyngeal constrictors or whatever you're, you're calling those. Yeah. Um, and in my case, um, you know, they become, they become unresponsive to natural impulse. Sure. And they become unresponsive to the way you use your breath. Um, and I like to describe my, my soft palate had sort of retreated up into this like woo dome state. It had just gotten way up there and stuck like it was trying to retreat as far from the vocal folds as it could possibly get. And I also want to say that there's a spectrum of severity, and that's kind of what differentiates paresis from paralysis, which is what you said earlier. Right. Um, it, it can be from mild paresis of one vocal fold to almost complete paralysis of both vocal folds. And my case was moderate, not mild, paresis of both folds. I love the sound of the birds. That's just really distracting me. Is that on me? No, no, the sound of the birds in your environment. I love it. Oh, yeah, I'm on, I'm on my back porch. To say we can hear it all. No, 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 I don't mind. I just had a, I just had a, like... You know, ooh, squirrel. Well, I think that I think the funny thing will be that you guys can hear them because you're you're hearing me through my onboard mic on my computer. Yeah. But I doubt that this mic is picking up any of the birds, so no one will hear it on the podcast. Oh, it's a good thing. Good thing you said that because <laughs> I was wondering. I was like, that's gonna be an interesting ambiance. Like, look, you need to go mute yourself. Well, okay, so Sarah, did you, for example, Sarah, did you hear them on our episode last week? Oh, I didn't think about that. Right. Oh, yeah. the magic of technology. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead, Kate. <laughs> um, I, I'm, the only thing I'm going to say about uh, the science is that there's a ton of measurable acoustic and nerve function measurements along this spectrum. But the bottom line for a singer and a voice user can't be measured in scientific measurements. Right. Um, it's measured in, and this is not too severe or dramatic to say, it's measured in all the phases of coming to terms with death. Um, denial, anger, you know, bargaining, yeah. depression and acceptance. And if you can get to acceptance, then comes the transformation and hope and reinvention. Oh, that is, well, you know, I, I will just share, um, Kate, with you, because you and I don't know each other that well. But um, I, I completely agree with that. 
and, and and the reason I do, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but the reason that I do is because in 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 two thousand and five, I totally lost my chances at a professional career. I was up and coming and singing and whatever, and thought I was going to be very fancy, and uh, and all of a sudden lost every bit of my ability to sing high i lost every bit of my ability to sing even and uh and went through the process you just described uh and unfortunately did not have a good team of people around me um, that makes a difference and uh it 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 uh, it's funny that you you said that last one because the year that I really started singing better was the year that I had decided that I was no longer going to sing professionally at all. Yes. <laughs> and now I'm happy to say that I'm singing professionally again, but it, it took 10 years. Yes, it does. Uh, so anyway, I, I, totally that's, that's... I totally relate and understand what you're saying. Well, I didn't know that about you, and I'm so sorry you had that experience. Oh, but I'm I, not, though. I, I was, I was going to say, I think ultimately it turns you into who you're meant to be anyway. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, and not only that, but in my case, and I'm sure you would agree with this, it made me, uh, it made me the voice teacher that I am today. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but not, not everybody who goes through this has the um the constitution to slog through sure and 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 you can't and and having gone through it you can't blame them for not having it it's like getting through your doctor (laughs) (laughs) anyway um i think what i'd like to do uh, because you know, we could we could talk about symptoms. We could talk about um, causes. Is that of interest, or do you want to get right to what I ended up? Well, doing? I'd love to hear about symptoms specifically, um, just in case. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm I'm trying to fudge with the my audio cable a little bit. Um, I'd love to hear about symptoms, just in case any of our listeners ever experience any of these things. Although, listen, vocal fam, I just want to say. Please don't ever just assume that when you hear about any voice disorder, a- any any voice disorder you ever hear about, don't just assume that if you have a little cough or a sneeze or something, that you have some life-altering thing. Although, if you are noticing things that are happening on a regular basis, go get checked out by a medical professional. But don't panic. My point is, don't panic. That's my general advice. Whenever I give voice health talks, don't panic. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, and and I think that what we're saying now is try to find a board-certified otolaryngologist at a voice clinic. That's a very specific, very specific kind of, of, of professional because the the important thing is to get a diagnosis. Solutions, solutions afterwards require other kinds of specialists. Um, if 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 
and even if they involve surgery or injections on the part of the board-certified otolaryngologist. Sure. So um, that I know that you know that. I just feel like I have to cover my butt every time I talk about this. Well, no, you know, look, I mean, I think any of us who are really voice teachers primarily – Anytime we're sort of venturing into the health world and medical world, we want to do our best to be informed, but also know when to refer. I think that's the big thing. That is so important. And you know what? It takes a lot of, of time and wisdom in the business to understand that. Sure. Um, so anyway, symptoms. You'll get a muffled or weak register where it used to be functional and clear. Yeah. Okay. You'll, um, the voice might cut out of the middle register, and this has never happened before, which is a more specific thing than to just lose a register. But common problems in the middle register um, are, are heard a lot. Um, pitch instability. It's just, it's just infuriating because you can still audiate and you go to sing, and it, it, it will come out a third or a fifth higher. Um, your voice will feel wooden, like there's a splinter hanging out in there. Mm. That's got and, to be awful. Oh, yeah, that's fun. Um, and my personal favorite was you will bark when you try to sing. Uh, yes, you will get this barking, breaking thing. Um, my favorite story is I was singing uh, the soprano solos in The Messiah, and it was a production where they did not want me singing in the choir. So, you know, the soprano sits there and rots for the first part. Oh, of part one. Yes. And then she comes in with There Were Shepherds, right? And I barked like a seal for the first phrase. Oh. And the look on the conductor's face. And you could just feel the whole, everything sort of like, you know, first of all, the congregation woke up, which was nice. Um <laughs> Well, I don't mean to laugh, but yeah, right. Yeah, right. I got their attention. And then you could just feel the other choral members just sort of wondering. And I just pulled myself together and got it back somehow. But I started barking quite frequently. And like I say, my teacher and I were trying to patch it together with the information we had at the time. Wow. Right? Yeah, so um, it... it and it's, you know what, it's a new field. I guess if you're going to be 35 years ahead of everything all the time, it might as well just continue through your life, right? Wow. Um, and so in terms of, of causes for paresis or paralysis, I, I do want to run through this really quick. Yeah, please. Because it's important. Uh, one is trauma to the neck, such as car accidents or falls or being choked, um, thyroid, <laughs> thyroid surgery, neck surgery, um, chest surgery, which may be a surprise, but the recurrent laryngeal, laryngeal nerve moves through the cardiac plexus and comes back up. Um, stroke, muscular sclerosis, Parkinson's, tumors, right. pressing on the larynx. Now, the last three are what I've been able to piece together in my case. One, okay. complications from surgical intubation. Oh. Um, 
which is when the endotracheal tube is used during anesthesia right. to ensure that you can breathe and not choke on your own saliva or stomach right. contents. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, I'm going to mention this briefly and not dwell on it. I've had eight abdominal surgeries in my life, one where I was almost killed and two with surgical complications. So you know intubation had to be in there at some point. Of, yeah, certainly. Um, the second reason, viruses, where you get a summer cold and then your speaking voice cuts out. Uh, in 2012, that's what happened. It still had not been diagnosed, but then it went over to complete bi bilateral after this, where um, my speaking voice just never really came back other, and it got fatigued. And there were... Every time I tried to phonate, there was a sound like this. It was just a hiss. Wait, make that one more time, Kate. It cut out. It was just a hiss. Okay. So it just sounded like a hiss. Um, that is when I went to Jeannie Levetri in New York City. Sure. And she said... Well, the first thing you need to do is get some, an otolaryngologist who knows what they're doing. <laughs> no, you're, I mean, it's totally right. Look, all doctors are not made the same. No, 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 they're not. But here's the other thing. In my geographical area, there is, uh, there is sort of a, a hole in this area of expertise. Um, and I'm not sure why I'm not the only person who has said this. There are many people in our field who have confirmed my thoughts. And how else are you supposed to know? Right. Um, and um, and the, 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 fifth, the, the third reason is psychological trauma or abuse that manifests somatically as paresisoc paralysis. Yep. And this is where research into the new fields of polyvagal theory and vagus nerve tone, tone and voice function is ripe for study and for clinical trials. I think that there is so I've I, I don't know if I Sarah if I said this on the podcast. I no. think that there I I know I said it to you in person, but I think that there is a huge potential body of of vagus nerve research and the singing yes. voice that's not been tapped into. I think some of it's going to be very difficult to do, but it's there for the taking. And someone in our field who is exploring this quite deeply is Robert Susuma mm -hmm. with his work as a Feldenkrais practitioner. And um, in, in various speech therapies, I think they're starting to take a look at this, but I don't know that much. I really don't know that much other than to start my journey looking into it. It also has to do with whether or not someone is born with low vagal tone. What does that mean? Right. I don't know, but it's got, it's got, and I started thinking a long time ago that this paresis had to have a relationship to something, some of the other things I've experienced, but sure. no one took it seriously. So, um, let's just talk a little bit about this. Um, so after I was diagnosed, and after I had worked with three other otolaryngologists and about four speech-language pathologists, that's when I went to Levetri. Okay. 
and I started with her. I've known Lavetri since 1987, mm-hmm. when I first met her at the Voice Foundation. And um, by the way, can I just tell an anecdotal story that feeds into this whole thing a little bit? Of course. Um, I was at the Voice Foundation in, excuse me, it was 1989, 1989, a year after the birth of our first child, because my former, one of my former college teachers had invited me to present with him on the male voice. Okay. Oh, I saw that on, I saw that on your website. Yes. Yes. Um, we had a lot of phone conversations and snail mail things going back and forth. And I know it was a different era. And I, I got to the Sarah for, for you millennials, Sarah, that's when we actually used to write letters on paper. And had stamps. They were these little sticky. Sorry. Okay, moving on. You have to like lick them and stuff. Yeah. Ah. Okay. The best was that you had these little things on your desk with a little ball that had some liquid at the bottom, and you could just roll the stamp over the little ball, and it would wet it for you. Oh my god. Sorry. Moving on. And remember the remember the carbon copies. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Ditto (laughs) machines. Come on really have lost me now. First, I was joking. Sorry. Moving on. Uh, but anyway, I got to the Voice Foundation and met with him. I was to meet him in the uh, room we had been assigned. And he met me at the door. Oh, Sarah's just going to absolutely freak out when she hears this. But I can tell this story now because he's dead. Um, or he has passed. Excuse me. He met me at the door and said to me, you know, I think it would be better if I presented the information by myself. Really? And then what? He, he, he took my research and pedagogical ideas and taught them as his own. Oh, my God. No. And honestly, back then, <clears throat> I was too naive and things didn't hit me right away. You know how th- something so heinous hits you and you just are like, well, okay. <laughs> You're like, well, what was I supposed to do? I wish we were a video medium right now because the look on my face must just be. Well, but here's where things work out. I, w- I, I didn't even go sit on, I, I sat in on about 20 minutes of his presentation and realized what he was doing. And left, and that's when I went to Lavetri's presentation and kind of had my life changed. Uh huh. Silver so, so it worked out. Um, but anyway, um, so um, I understand now that a good speech language pathologist, singing voice specialist, will effectively use the tools that Lavetri used with me. I understand that now. And have had incredible conversations with the SLPs, CDSs in our community who are so generous with their time. And they know what it's like, I guess, because they've been pioneers in their field. Sure. Um, But, you know, even getting, not all geographic areas have autolaryngologists that even value the concept of recommending or using a singing voice rehab specialist. And as Lori Sonnenberg, whom you've interviewed, yeah. she said to me, you know, Kate, we have to educate them. 
Yeah. We have to educate them. Anyway, um, so Levetri used an overlying idea that comes out of Lee Silverman's voice treatments for Parkinson's patients. Um, it was developed by speech-language pathologists by the name of Dr. Lorraine Ramick with support by the National Institute for Health, although it's mostly used as a speaking tool for Parkinson's patients. It has to do with judicious use of the chest voice, which requires that the teacher or the specialist um, functional listening and whole body perception be at the highest level, just the highest level. Um, and Lori said something to me that really stuck. Um, she said there are cases of severity levels where a voice-building approach, meaning permission to bully and really tax the voice with loud projected volume, is appropriate to build laryngeal muscle strength. But this is usually an approach that's advised after other therapy techniques are in place. Uh-huh. And the subsystems are better balanced and compensatory behaviors have been dealt with. And Levetri did do this for two years. But see, I had not been introduced to it by the SLPs that I had been to. Sure. I At the time, I got um, some semi-occluded vocal tract exercises over nine-tone scales, which was ridiculous. Sure. You know, you know, ridiculous use. Um, and uh, breathing and resonance techniques cannot be used when chords are not coming together. And this gave me the inside understanding that the vocal folds, the function of the vocal folds, is what creates breath usage and resonance strategies. And we still live in a day and age where breathing and resonance are the end all of all end alls. And they're useful, but in my case, they didn't work. And as a matter of fact, what I learned is that um, maintaining a flexible free body alignment, like I'm sitting up now and talking to you, the only way I could hold my body was something like this with my neck turned at a weird angle. And so unfolding it to this came through vocal fold function. And of course I was working body work and everything else at the same time. Well, I would say, I would say two things about, about that basic, uh, thought process that i mean and we've said this multiple times on the on the podcast including the story of when i yelled for an entire day of a class that had nothing to do with pet well it had to do with pedagogy but it didn't have to do with anatomy and physiology and i yelled about the source for half an hour and uh, sorry sarah what was that pound on the table Uh, and, um, I, I would say that one, uh, if you don't have clean vocal fold closure, I don't care how you breathe. It's going to be inefficient. And the second thing I would say about that is, uh, you can sort of try to formant tune all you want, but unless you have an actual strong source signal coming from the glottis, because your vocal folds are coming together, then you're sort of out of luck. Yeah, and that's back to the idea of the whole pharyngeal wall not being, and, and the pharynx and the stuff in the sure. mouth 
able to work, right? Yeah. So, but you know, I think pedagogy students out of the past 10 years now understand that. And I, uh, I think that's why it's so important to be a lifelong learner. Oh, I, I, with a, without question. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, yes. Um, I want to say that I saw the whole rehab process and the reason I persevered as transforming yeah. the energy of grief. And somehow I knew I had to do it. Um, it helped me accept and move through many years of other major adjustments. And that's where the menopause comes in, sure. in this book that I'm writing with Joanne and Nancy Ball. And, and tell us, since you brought it up, tell us the, what the title of that book, because when, when we had Joanne Bozeman on, we, you didn't have a title yet. It's called Singing Through Change. Women's Voices in Midlife, Menopause, and Beyond. And expected by the end of the year? It's, no, it's expected by the end of winter 2020. Okay, by the and, end of winter 2020. And um, it's being published by Studio Boss Media, which is Nancy Boss's publishing company. And there is a, an email sign-up for getting publishers updates and cute stories and stuff like that. Okay, perfect. But anyway, um, I wanted to be able to at least model the sounds and have access to clear vowels and be able to convey phrasing, language, and expressiveness because my whole raison d'etre is to teach. But since then, I've discovered that that's a front for being a healer. Yeah. And, you, you know, and, and I think many of us know that. Yes, without question. Uh, then Kathy Price... Dr. Kathy Price at Westminster, who is a lifelong friend and fellow journeyer, um, she invited me to be the CCM a clinician at Westminster Choir College's Vocal Pedagogy Institute. Mm -hmm. But I was scared to death because I had to teach two two-hour interact interactive sessions as well as participate in a final discussion. And at, when she asked me, I couldn't do that. So I kind of doubled down on wise rehab efforts. And by the time the Institute came along, I was able to teach with a mic without fatigue. And it went pretty well. Incredible. But I believe it is in the patience, pacing, and a huge wisdom of, of applying these evidence-based tools that makes the difference in their effectiveness. It's not the exercises themselves. And we just have far too many people asking for the exercises and not knowing how to apply them. Right. Um, so I'll try to make this fairly quick. The second way I have healed is far more esoteric and makes a much more interesting story. But it reflects my understanding of how the body speaks back to us the wounds of our own hearts and belief systems. Sure. And... There are branches of science called psychoneuroendocrinology and psychoneuroimmunology that are exploring these connections between belief, beliefs and um, physical illness. And that's another interest of mine. Um, and it would be another fascinating dissertation topic for our community. 
Um, no, neither of those are something that I know anything about. So I, you know, I. It, well, I think that it's going to take somebody who can take the research and connect the dots in a compelling way. Sure. Right. Um, so here's the story. The day after the 2013 diagnosis finally came in, I had to start the spring season conducting a women's course that I had founded about 15 years earlier. And it was for women of all ages. I was still reeling from the diagnosis. And so I stood up in front of this group of 50 women and I said, I'm going to beg for your patience because I don't want to become bitter because you guys can sing and I can't, but I'm not there yet. And they, they were loving, they were wonderful. But I noticed that one woman who had been singing with me in the chorus for four years and had come to some of my workshops, she was about in her mid-70s, and she was sitting with her head down, and she was shaking her head. And I thought she wasn't feeling well, and I kind of left her alone. And after the rehearsal, she comes up to me, and she says, Kate, I don't know how you're going to take this, my guides are telling me that you're not okay and I'm supposed to offer my services to you. Okay. <laughs> and since I had known her, I just said, well, thank you very much. But she is a retired psychologist whose specialty was in trauma and disassociation. And she had won many national awards. I looked her up, did not know this about her. And she recognized in me the signs of post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. And I did start with her and ended up working with both her and Lovetri for about five years. Um, we used, the evidence-based tools we used in, in with Bobby were... Um, brain spotting and rapid eye movement and somatic experience and trauma relief. Um, we worked with intention and other therapeutic tools. And once again, these tools in the hands of anyone but the most skilled can be destructive, right? Sure. But I, I looked out. She was amazing. Um, and we kind of trapped, I will say it was not sexual abuse, but we tracked it to repeated medical trauma and outright medical abuse. Wow. And coupled with, and this is important, and of course I'm the type of person who will analyze something until it's beat to death, and especially when I'm bewildered. Um, I was feeling, uh, I had the belief, let's put it this way, and I think a lot of singers and singing teachers do, I had the belief that no matter how much I explained, no matter how much sense I made, no matter how effective I was, no matter what verbiage I adopted, I would never be heard or understood. That's serious. That's serious baggage. Yeah. And since it was my belief, it's what I experienced. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And... I don't think that has much to do with 
working outside academia versus being an independent. But because I even experienced it out as an independent educator, except for the people, the clients, the students, the colleagues, and, and those who knew me and had worked with me. So we had to unravel all that. Um, beliefs are energy from the brain, and the brain will create whatever you believe. Yeah. Right? Um, and so all this work dovetailed with Levetri. And even though this process was enormously difficult, I know I'm one of the lucky ones. And I'm lucky because, first of all, my best friend is my husband, and he has been my support and principal breadwinner for the family yeah. for most of my career. Um, we've had insurance through his job. And this has meant that most of my salary could be poured back into finding management tools for my health when there were none. Wow. Yeah. How freaking lucky is that? Yeah. Uh, it's phenomenal. It's, it's kind of like looking back and taking a look at, at, you know, I did have a singing career, a credible singing career for about 20 years and started with a full private studio right after graduate school. So I did the thing. Yeah. How lucky was that? Yeah. How lucky was it to have the support to be able to do this? And secondly, and this is even more remarkable, my therapist happened to be independently wealthy and only charged me a third of what she normally charged. Wow. That is great. And it, and it was only in retrospect that I realized because of my parents' position in the community I grew up, I had nine years of piano lessons, five years of oboe lessons, and three years of bassoon lessons for free. <laughs> Plus my parents. I mean, you know, I had advantages that most people don't have. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and there are good things that have come out of this. First of all, I have just been able to start singing in a small independent living facilities choir, <laughs> which if you had told me I would end up doing that 20 years ago, I would have just looked at you in horror and disdain. Um, but it has been, um, because of what I've come through, it's a real marker of success for me. Absolutely. And I can illustrate well. I work now as a singing voice rehabilitator Rehabilitation specialist with an association at, out of Johns Hopkins Neck and Head Surgery in Bethesda. Phenomenal. Um, and I've started a new program for voice teachers and their students who have access only to doctors who diagnose and no skilled help afterwards, which is most of the rest of the world, by the way. Right. And I've started a program where voice teachers and their students can work with me on Zoom. And learn how to work with the people that are coming to them for rehab who don't have access to our community. Sure. And it's called Kate's Collegial Consults. And I'm well aware of my limitations and really say so. But I'm also, I believe, a very effective rehab specialist. Had been unknowingly for many years before 
diagnosis because of the geographical area in which I live. Sure. Um, so. And I, just, but, just, just to pause on that note, and, and somebody could contact you through your website? to. to they can contact me through my website. Which yes, is so what? Kate, C-A-T-E, F is in Fraser, N is in Neely, Kate, F-N, studios at, at dot com. Dot com. KateFNStudios.com. Perfect. And on the website, there are all these new offerings that have come out of having paresis. Sure. Um, and I just want to say that um, I think one of my greatest life lessons through this whole process has been letting go of my ego identifications. Um, to see where music wants to take me, not where I want to take music. Oh, that's beautiful. And that's the truth. That's how I feel now. Yeah. That's a beautiful, beautiful sentiment. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, and, and, and I mean, I, I, I'll be honest, um, coming into today, I didn't, uh, I sort of didn't expect myself to be sort of as stirred um relating your experience to mine uh but um this has been really s sort of wonderful um you know and the fact that you've come as full circle as you have in accepting the idea in and then you know through this whole process which has obviously been a multi-year process and oh, i think yeah. that's it and i think that's important for for the vocal fam to remember is that this has been a process this was not an overnight just you know whatever but um just to realize that that you still have a place in music and that you've been able to start singing again and I mean, right now, I mean, your speaking voice sounds perfectly healthy and clear. And Well, it's not easy. I have to be conscious of it all the time. Sure. Uh, but thank you for that. That means a lot to me because that actually is, you know, you can't sing until the speaking voice gets to be in a, a relatively free place, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, just, um, you know, I, I think it's an inspiring journey and i think one of the things that's important in what you said is that relating it i don't think we talk enough with our young singers about how to manage that moment in their life, because look, practically every singer in their life is going to deal with something that all of a sudden their voice is going to all of a sudden feel different. Right. Yeah. And, and, right. and, that, and th there are lots of different levels of that. There are lots of different types of that. There are lots of different things. But what we don't prepare them well for is dealing with the psychology of that. Right. And the idea, and, and, and I think uh, there's been a detriment at times that we've in the pedagogy community or the performing community, I'm not really sure. I'm just going to say the voice community. We've perpetuated an idea at times, at least we used to, that if your technique is great, it will get you through everything. Right. 
Oh, that's so important. And, that is so important. And that is not true. Because no. there could be there could be something like you've experienced, there could be someone with a nerve condition, there could be someone that gets you can be genetically predisposed to getting vocal fold cysts. Right. It has nothing to do with anything you did. Right, and I think that that's the one thing we bring up in the book about para, um, perimenopause and menopause. While there are singers who tended their technique that get through just fine, there are equally many who have tended their technique who don't. Right. So it's not always a case of the right technique. Uh, I that drives me a little crazy, quite frankly. Uh, me, me too. Me well, and as someone who, you know was in my mid-twenties embarking on a professional career and then basically felt like everybody sort of surrounding me sort of abandoned me because, th th you know, they were like, well, this is the right thing to do and so it should be working. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and even, my, even my own teacher, who was incredible with me. Yeah. When it reached the point that it was obvious that she couldn't help me, and when it was there was a diagnosis reached, there is a feeling in in <clears throat> certain teachers that paresis is caused by poor technique. Oh. And this is what she thought. And you know what? I lost all my classical students overnight once it became public. Wow. Uh. And she would tell her students, you know, Kate is great for CCM technique, but she's struggling, so I'm not sure you should go to her for classical technique. This came to light many, many years later. <sighs> I only have to say that that just comes from someone who doesn't know. Yeah. And she, she, was, she is an incredible teacher, um, but you... Isn't it difficult to keep your own crap from impeding on a student? You really have to watch it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You know, your your um, your podcast is also about popular culture. Oh, yes, yes, please. Do you have any interests? We're getting there. Yeah, yeah. So, no, I will just bring this up. I don't know if this can be... And my kids, my adult kids would be laughing at me right now. I don't know that this is popular culture, but it kind of is. I have always been, alongside a musician, a visual artist and, and craftsperson in that I like to take recycled materials and create new things out of them. It is my joy to go into a thrift shop and take junk and turn it into something beautiful which has kind of like become a metaphor for my life in a way. <laughs> Phenomenal. And um, I discovered during this whole process, I discovered that I am an incredible, actually, um, abstract artist. Oh, that's fun. And, you know, it's kind of like, it's not that unusual to find singers who are also artists or musicians who are also artists. And uh, I don't know if it's actually a synesthesia, but there is sort of a cross-sensory thing among color and tone and pattern. Sure. 
And um, so in a way, I don't, you know, in a way that became a substitute for not actually being able to sing. Yeah. And um, as a matter of fact, I had a business for 10 years, a little side hustle where I refashioned jewelry. I would go to the thrift shop and take all the junk and turn it into cool stuff. And that just that side business did pretty well until I got tired of it. Fascinating. No, no, we're we're happy to hear about anything. Uh, you know, we've had people tell us about all sorts of things, not just our Sarah. Sarah, what was that? Unicycling, crossword puzzles. We've heard it all. Oh, I'm sure you have. Well, it just goes to show how how um, it, interesting we all are. Yes. Yeah. You yes. know, and when we get behind, we get beyond our pedagogy veils. You find that really cool thing. In, in, indeed, indeed. Uh, okay, uh, our other tradition, Sarah. What'd you have for breakfast? Oh, um, yogurt. I got those little flip lid ones again. Uh, you know, the Bonnie. Yeah, they're good. Uh, it had chocolate in it, didn't it? Well, there was a component that was probably chocolate, uh -huh. and by a component, I mean what I poured into it was essentially a Heath bar. Yeah. It wasn't Heath Bar. It came that way. It's not like I went and bought a Heath Bar and crumbled it up into the yogurt. Yeah. It just had a little flip lid. Eh, it was okay. This Greek yogurt, there's, there's something in there. There's yeah, something. Potentially. Okay. Um, so, Kate, they can find information about you on your website, uh, katefnstudios.com. Thank you so much for joining oh, thank us. thank you, both. Oh. Thank you for being so receptive because oh. this, was, this was the perfect place to come out. Our, our pleasure. Yeah. I, I, I will warn you, I think we're going to have a little bit of popping in the audio, but um, mm -hmm. but I'll, I'll try to get it cleaned up as best I can. And, and this has been great. This has just been... Uh, yeah. Well, hope, hope to meet you both in the flesh. Uh, well, yeah. if, you, if you're coming to Nats National, we hope to both be at, in Knoxville. Yeah. Oh, I will be there. And actually, I'm probably will be presenting we hope to be as well so uh, <laughs> so um anyway uh so we'll see you hopefully in knoxville next summer yes all yes. right thank you kate thank you bye-bye